slow down and listen. Be thoughtful before you move forward. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. First, if you want to support the show, please leave a review. If you want to win a $200 steak dinner from the Capitol Grill, we give one out every week, so keep signing up. Links are in the show notes, which are actually in the episode description of whatever podcast app you use, or you can go directly to the website at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Tipco Energy Forum with my guest, Brent Haas. Vice President of Engineering at R. Lacey Services Limited, which coincidentally, I had the chance to meet uh, you at lunch when you just happened to sit down at our table. And I thought that was kind of weird. That's correct. What are the chances? I know. Exactly. So how are you this afternoon? I'm doing just fine. How are you, Paige? I'm a little beat, but you know, day one. Getting towards the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I got my Starbucks, so we're good. Good. So before we go deeper into your current role, can you kind of tell us of how you began in the industry? Sure. So I went to school at Texas A&M University. I'm mm-hmm. an Aggie. I won't and, hold uh, that against you. Okay. Yeah. That can be a good <laughs> thing or a bad thing, depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> but graduated from Texas A&M with a degree in chemical engineering and uh, got into the industry working with my father, who had a third party reserves consulting group in Dallas. Okay. So it was about 2002, uh, that time frame. Oil and gas prices hadn't really started moving yet. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the unconventionals hadn't really taken off yet. It was in its infancy with the Barnett Shale. And so I was a chemical engineer looking to get into oil and gas, uh, not finding a lot of reservoir engineering opportunities. But my father's company was starting to do some work in the Barnett, getting busy. He needed some help. Kind of made sense to go to, to work with him at that time. So worked with him for about 11 years. It was a great experience. Got to work with a lot of different companies, a lot of different uh, reservoirs. And so, but I got to that stage in my career, he was kind of looking to potentially retire and the avenues were buy him out, take over the company or do something else. I'd always been interested in joining a, uh, an ENP company, an operator, mm-hmm. but I had pretty specific criteria what I was looking for. And um, what was oper- that exactly? You know, I was really looking for a smaller independent operator you know, I was looking for a more stable environment, but I didn't want to go with a, a larger company. I wanted to go somewhere where I could get out and make an impact. And um, a little and bit was, more leeway in what you can do. And right, yeah. right. And, you know, I like the it's a family owned company. I like that. They've been around uh, or we've been around since the 30s when Rogers Lacey started and incorporated the company. And so that was all that was very attractive to me. They're they're very uh, calculated in what they do, very conservative, but at the same time committed to uh, the long-term strategies buy and hold is, is more of what we believe. And, uh, and, and I like that. I like the, the, uh, I like that style. And so it, there weren't a lot of companies that fit that criteria and the RLAC opportunity came up and was just a great fit. So I've been there about four years now and, uh, really doing the same thing. I do reserves analysis. Uh, I do all of our 
corporate reserves and our acquisition divestiture reviews and things of that nature, a lot of valuations and reserves work. Okay. So you started, figured out exactly what you wanted to do, had your criteria met. So what challenges did you face? You know, I would say one challenge is was getting into reserves consulting off the bat. I mean, a lot of that is usually, usually consulting comes after you've got, have a lot of years of experience and you mm-hmm. enter uh, that kind of space. But uh, so it was a challenge of just, you know, getting up the learning curve quickly. And I certainly had the help of my father to do that. One thing that helped was the unconventionals. The mm-hmm. reservoir engineering was, you know, had kind of been flipped upside down from the way it was done for conventional reservoirs. So in, in a lot of aspects, a lot of the reservoir engineers were coming up the learning curve uh, at the same time, kind of level the playing field. And so it was a good time to, to come into that profession, but it was a challenge to uh, get up the learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. So can you explain exactly what our Lacey services, what exactly they do? Is it only just reservoir? Sure. Uh, no, we're a, an operator located in East Texas in Longview, Texas. And that's where our corporate headquarters are. So we're an operator. We're an EP company. So we, we drill, drill our own wells. We have our core operated position uh, in the Carthage field. Okay. And um, yeah. yeah, so we've, but we have a lot of legacy assets and a lot of investments in and in non-operated uh, assets as well. So we have kind of a good mix of both. And so we're an operator and we're an investor in, in non-operated opportunities as well. Oh, neat. Okay. So you actually just came from speaking uh, during the breakout sessions. So mm-hmm. You want to tell our audience a little bit about what you spoke about? Yeah, sure. Today's talk was on automated decline curve analysis. Mm-hmm. And so it was on the use of Spotfire, and it's really become an effective tool for the the reserves evaluator. I've got quite a bit of a background with the tool. I started using it uh, back in 2008, and I really got into the automated decline curve in 2014. We had TIPCO's professional services group, one individual in particular, Peter Shaw, who had developed this automated decline curve tool. And so he came in and implemented it. And I'd say what, what he built is really the engine behind it. I mean, it can take thousands of wells and, and fit those with a decline curve within minutes. I mean, this is, you know, something that would take an individual evaluator, maybe a minute plus per well. Well, this is thousands of wells in a minute. And in that, with the spawn of the or the increase of the the unconventional resource exploitation, it just requires looking at a whole lot more wells. And you're looking at basins, and you're having to get through a thousand plus wells to really get a good understanding of of the recoveries within that that basin and what what drives performance. And no longer can you look at a limited production data set. And so we need these tools to help speed that up. We don't have time to get through all those wells. And auto forecasting is is a great way to get that done. And of course, you know, it's, it's not quite push button and you can just accept the results that come out of it. You know, we, we do have some techniques to run the tool and kind of refine the data set and look at the higher quality uh, data fits that are coming out of it and still get a lot of useful information that can help us speed up our reserves determinations and, you know, and save us time. Yeah. There's been a lot of groundbreaking stuff and I, you know, I haven't, I haven't worked for an operator in well over a year. So hearing all about how they've 
what used to take, you know, a week or six months to move all this data. He did it live on stage. Right. And, and, and it, this is, it's blown my mind. So, and it's yeah. similar to what you're talking. Mine what, too as what, well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole industry is moving to this, you know, there, there is so much data out there and there's so much inefficiencies in the way that we have to access that data across different platforms. And yeah. there's just this big push to, to make that more efficient and, and bring those data sources together and, you know, kind of remove the human element from having to go the to error. different sources and mm -hmm. move them from maybe a database into Excel into, you know, these other platforms and yeah, introduce the human error element and kind of remove that and, and get down to more just analyzing the data and making decisions based on it. And it's really, yeah, it's, it's changed so much in the last even five years and interesting to see where, where it'll be in the next five to 10. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? You know, I'm going to give you, um, since we're talking about oil and gas and we're talking about reserves and I just got through with this talk, I guess it's on my mind, this digital transformation and moving this, um, all of this data and getting it melded together. I mean, it's a complex problem and the engineers are analyzing the data and they know what they want to do with it and make decisions based on it. But not many of us have a great IT background. And I just think that's going to be so important move forward. It's helped me in my career. I've had to step away and understand relational database structure, you know, SQL language and, and things of that I never thought I would get involved in. But having that understanding, at least I know the right questions to ask my IT department and the third part, party service providers that we have come in and help us with our issues. I understand the capabilities. I know the questions to ask. I mean, it helps me come up with solutions that we can bring into our company, incorporate into our Spotfire workflows and, and other things that we're doing. And you can really gain so much efficiency from that. But I think there's that engineering IT connection where the IT, they know how to move it. They know how to bring it all together. The engineers kind of know what, what needs to be done uh, with the information, but you kind of need that middle ground. So it's got to be a little bit cross-discipline. Okay. So I see what you're saying. Be effective in your communication and make put forth the effort to understand the language of the other person. Yeah, maybe. Knows. I mean, uh, you know, more specifically for these engineers that are doing reserves, understand the IT side a little bit better. You know, branch out and understand that. It's going to help you with, with those types of problems. Very good. What is your most used business tool? So... My most used business tool right now really is the Spotfire platform. I mean, as a reserves evaluator, I, I use PhD Win. I mean, that's what we use to book our, our reserves, but it's really come uh, back to Spotfire where we do a lot of that auto DCA. We do calculate a lot of our reserves uh, within those tools. Uh, we also use it for production surveillance, monitoring wells and their downtime, which wells you know, appear to be loading up and need some artificial lift solutions. We also have it plugged into our financial database. And so as we monitor which wells are getting to the point where they're uneconomic and we may need to look at those and do a, a workover or recompletion or something. Or plug them. Um, or plug them. Yeah. And it's just, it's really that one tool can plug into all those different data sources, kind of bring that to your fingertips. And whereas 
you know, we used to have to submit a request to accounting to get them to maybe query the data set and get us some information back and review it. It was very static. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of have a live feed into that. And so I'm in it every day. I mean, I do use it quite a bit. Good. Who would you say is your most respected competitor? You know, in in my career, I guess my most respected competitor, and it's a little bit different because I used to be on the service side. So this Mm -hmm. happens to be a client, but it's chief oil and gas. And I happen to know uh, Trevor Reese Jones very well. I've known him for a lot of my life and he's the president of chief oil and gas, but to see the, the way they were so nimble and took advantage of the unconventionals and got into the Barnett so early, were able to scale it up and bring in a midstream component and divest that asset at the right time and then go up and do the same thing in the Appalachian basin with the Marcellus, uh, go through a number of sales there. And he's just had tremendous success doing that and and still has a robust operated position there, still has a lot of production online. So I think, you know, being close to him, knowing him personally, the way that he manages his company, seeing the incredible, you know, I think most people know their their story and the unconventionals, just the incredible success that he's had and and just what what he's doing now. And I guess I see some some synergies and that is family owned and operated somewhat like, like our Lacey. And, mm-hmm. um, I kind of view him as kind of a wildcatter of our time, but in the unconventional space. And I look back and try to imagine what Rogers Lacey at, at our Lacey, what, what he was doing when he started the company in the thirties and, and just had tremendous success. And so that's maybe somebody I've been able to watch fairly closely throughout his career and very, I just have a tremendous amount of respect for chief oil and gas. That's really wonderful. It's, it's it's nice to have a peer, but also kind of have that competition. Yeah. Still. Right. So that's awesome. What's your most important lesson learned? Most important lesson learned is probably probably just to slow down and and listen and be thoughtful before you move forward. I mean, it it can help you in your personal life and it can help you in your professional life. I feel like we're talking about the professional life here, but I think listening to others and then as, you know, as we, as we go into a project, just taking the time to step back, have a plan before you get started Mm -hmm. and take that input from, from others before you get started. And, you know, I tend to, to get to work and just want to get into something and start, start working on it. Uh, So I think, you know, I guess that, that would be it. Got a little siren here in the background. I'm telling you, well, (laughs) we're, we're in Memorial area. So hope everybody's okay. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I really like the thoughtful part about that, that I've heard the listen, but the thoughtful part yeah. was probably my favorite part. Society in general, I just feel like it's speeding up, you know, and sometimes you just have to slow down and make sure you're being thoughtful about what you're doing instead of just rushing into it. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely agree. So what's your favorite podcast? So yeah, uh, one of my favorite podcasts is Stuff You Should Know, and I can't even remember the guys that do it, but you know, it's always got a a great off the wall topic of something that I didn't even think about that I should know about, but it's always something I'm usually pretty interested in. I think the guys do a pretty good job of breaking it down. It's interesting. It's usually, it's usually a little break from, from what I'm doing and and oil and gas. And, but at the same time, it's, it's always really interesting. Yeah. And it's bothering me because I can't remember because I've listened to it plenty of times. It's bothering me because I can't remember the name of the guys who yeah. do it either. I know. Should be able to plug them here, but they do a great job with it. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting. 
I'm going to look it up real quick. There you go. <laughs> How stuff works. I think it's, I think that might be like Discovery Channel or. Yeah. Okay. Or I don't know. Is it How Stuff Works? Did I get the name wrong? How Stuff Works is by, or Stuff You Should Know is by How Stuff Works. Oh, okay. Good. Does that make sense? Yes. I got it. <laughs> That's a good one. You should check it out. Yeah. They also do stuff to blow your mind, stuff they don't want you to know in history class. Oh, okay. Yeah, they do a, they do a lot of stuff. Stuff you missed in history class, car stuff. They yeah. do a lot of stuff. I have to admit, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, but that's definitely one I do on occasion. I got into it listening to podcasts because of my commute. Yeah. Oh, it's a great way to spend a commute. Yeah. It's almost better it's than an audio book. Of moving to our Lacey, we're in Longview. It's a small town. You don't oh, have yeah. a traffic I'm, commute. I'm, I'm, I'm to work in. Like, I went to high school in Fort Worth. So, oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, and I'm from Louisiana, so I, I know that drive. Mm-hmm. All yeah, seven hours. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Longview. So, what book influenced you the most? So, I'm an engineer, so it's going to be a very nerdy answer, but I'm going to relate this to work and, uh, you know, in my career, one of the most influential books that I've had is the SPEE Monograph 3. It's a book put out by the Society of Petroleum Evaluation Engineers. It was very cleverly named and it rhymes. SPEE Monograph 3 just kind of flows, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, now they have the Monograph 4, but it just sticks out in my mind. I mean, that's the book I've read in my career that they really helped me go down the path of understanding booking reserves and unconventional plays. And it's it's very technical, It's very, uh, but it came along at a time in industry where there was a lot of disagreement on the ways to do that and the ways to book undeveloped reserves and resource plays, which is a big topic. And I thought, you know, you look back, some people think it's not perfect, but it, 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 I thought they did a great job of pulling together a lot of different techniques and statistical understanding and bringing that to reserves bookings. What are reserve bookings? And what do you mean by that? Because okay. Uh, oil and gas reserves. And so you think about public companies, private companies, everybody does a reserves report. So okay. you're estimating the remaining oil and gas volumes that you have left to produce Okay. under your, your assets. And they there's a lot of uncertainty in that, mm-hmm. right? Because those reserves are well underground. You have limited measurements to understand uh, how much you do have left. And so based on how much data you have, you book them based on proved, probable, and possible categories. So proved is a 90% certainty, probable is 50%, and possible is 10% certainty. The more uncertainty in it, it's got to go into that bucket so people can understand uh, the uncertainty behind the estimates in that reserve report. So the monograph three was really focused on unconventional. And there was a lot of you know, a lot of people trying to understand how to properly book undeveloped reserves. So those are locations and acreage that you own that you have not drilled yet. Mm-hmm. And you have to book those uh, those undeveloped reserves. And there was just a lot of, as the unconventionals took off, it was just different than booking conventional reserves. There was a lot of uh, misunderstanding, or not misunderstanding, but a lot of differing opinions on it. And it brought a workflow along that I think is, you know, now being widely adopted, uh, brought at least exposed me to the statistical techniques and kind of uh, enhanced my understanding of that, which led to analytics, which led to a lot of the stuff I do with Spotfire now. So it's, it's a nerdy answer, but it's been, it was very influential in my career. Well, it almost sounds like it's evolutionary in your field of study. 
Yeah, I think. And certainly as a third party evaluator at the time, and you know, you had a, a book to to point to, that organization is the Society of Petroleum Evaluation Engineers. So you have a a peer group, a formal organization out there with experts that put that book together. So you can, if you're filing a report with the the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, you've got a methodology you can point to that's published out there that that you have support. So yeah, it was it was an important book. I don't think that's nerdy. And it's okay, okay if you Good. are nerdy. That's uh, right. I'm an engineer. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm, I know I know you had to come right after speaking, so I figured you'd be a little tired, but you know you did fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. It was I enjoyed being here. Of course, I also wanted to thank Tibco and their staff. Big shout out to Lloyd for helping us set up all these interviews today. It's been great. If people want to reach out to you uh, or get to know more about our Lacey services, how might they go about doing that? Yeah, we uh we have a website, rlacy.com. So it's R L A C Y dot com. Perfect. And I will make sure to put that in the show notes also. Great. So that concludes this episode. So just remember it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.